It's the April 19th, 2019 edition of Weekly Signals Meltdown, a reconfiguration of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting from Studio A at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Hespar. And as always, Billy Barr's spin doctor. Yes. <laughs> the fake news dog. Mahler? Mahler. Yeah, Mahler. Go. It's a show. You've got to start showing up for rehearsals, okay? Come on. All right. Coming up, <laughs> the blob and the boy. The three stooges of John Bolton. A dog and pony show. And more, but first. Yes. Did you see the full moon this morning? I did. 4.15 in the morning. Oh, I did. It was 100% full. It's full moon night. Yes. That carried on into the morning. Yes. And at 4.15 this morning... It was 100%. Yep. And Mahler and I, well, you know what we were doing. That's <laughs> ah, right, Mahler. Bang at that. Oh, Mahler. Boy, it's fun. Yeah. Like, let's, let's you let off some steam. Yeah. Does it not? In a study that raises profound questions about the line between life and death. <laughs> Researchers restored some cellular activity to brains recovered from slaughtered pigs. The brains did not regain anything like consciousness. These weren't conscious pigs. Okay. But in an experimental treatment called Brain X, that's like FedEx, EX, Brain Experiment, Brain X, yeah. blood vessels in the pigs' brains began functioning, flowing with a blood substitute. And certain brain cells regained metabolic activity, even responding to drugs. Wow. Yeah. How do you feel about this? It is what it is. It is what it is. It's science. When the researchers tested slices of treated brain tissue, they discovered electrical activity in some neurons. This contradicts everything medical science believes about death in the brain and poses some metaphysical questions. Like, say, can we be reborn <laughs> through science? Uh, do you well, want to be cremated? Right. <laughs> it's not saying the brain lasts forever right. after you die. But when you lose blood, it's not like you can't regain a fresh brain again if you right. pump it full of the right substance. The new technology may give us new treatments for strokes, traumatic brain injuries, and diseases like Alzheimer's. Okay. Speaking of brains... Yeah. A study revealed that religious fundamentalism is in part the result of functional impairment in a brain region known as the prefrontal cortex, which would be up front. Yes. The findings suggest that damage to particular areas of the prefrontal cortex indirectly promotes religious fundamentalism by diminishing cognitive flexibility and openness, traits that involve curiosity, creativity, and open-mindedness. Now, the problem I have with this is they say religious fundamentalism. Isn't it fundamentalism of all kinds? Isn't believing the world is flat a kind of fundamentalism? Yeah, yeah. And a diminished capacity to be able to understand things. Yeah. They shouldn't tag it to religion. You're, you're right. Yes. I, Any sort of fundamentalism. Right. It's not necessarily a belief in God. Right. I imagined that atheists can have some damage and be fundamentalists. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Since fundamentalism involves a strict adherence to a rigid set of beliefs, cognitive flexibility, and open-mindedness present a challenge for fundamentalists, mm. so they can't think on their feet. 
Yeah. Impaired functioning in the prefrontal cortex, whether from brain trauma, a psychological disorder, a drug or alcohol addiction, or simply stupidity. I put that in. <laughs> and it's true. What they're saying is you just might have bad genes. Right. Yeah, you might be Gomer. These can make an individual susceptible to fundamentalism. Extreme religious indoctrination may actually harm the development. I would say extreme indoctrination. Yes. Any type of indoctrination right. may right. actually harm the development and proper functioning of the prefrontal regions in a way that hinders cognitive flexibility and openness. That's what bothers me about these studies, because I have to tie in religion. Why? It's the fundamentalist aspect of things. Right. The strict adherence to rules, regardless of any proof otherwise. Right. I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he got a grant based on studying religion and beliefs. Yeah. Right. And so, therefore, he's got yeah. to tie it all back to that. But you're absolutely right. I agree completely. Have you heard about the cloud forests, Mike? I just heard about the cloud forests. I thought I knew something about this stuff, but yes. Yeah. Thank you. Harrison Ford usually ends up in cloud forests, he doesn't does. he? Yeah, yeah. Either Blade Runner or Star Wars. Yeah, he's or, in some sort of cloud forest. <laughs> cloud forests are unique tropical ecosystems where clouds engulf tropical mountains at elevations cool enough for the clouds to form. These cool tropical habitats contain isolated pockets of unique biodiversity yes. reliant on the mist and humidity. Yes. But now, yeah. climate change. Climate is, change. Is threatening cloud forests and many species that depend on cloud forests for life, scientists reported in a new paper. Mapping cloud forests across the Western Hemisphere and collecting historical data on the ecology of the mountains, researchers can see an ominous change in the elevation of clouds. So they're changing where they are. Right. And the poor little creatures may not be able to get there. Right. We did another story recently about climate change is foreshadowing of cumulus clouds yeah. disappearing as well. So clouds are important. Yeah. Clouds bring us good things. Clouds provide cover for plant vegetation to survive, which yeah. is allowing us to survive. They figure 25 years from now, mm -hmm. the climate change could shrink and dry 60 to 80 percent of all cloud forests in the Western Hemisphere. And these nasty effects weren't just the consequent of extreme scenarios. If greenhouse gas emissions continue to increase at the current rate, 90 percent of Western Hemispheric cloud forests would lose cloud density as early as 2060. Climate change affects clouds in two major ways. First, it causes ambient air temperatures to become warmer, in turn forcing clouds to form at higher, cooler elevations. Second, it reduces humidity, which causes thinner and less frequent clouds, meaning that when clouds do condense at higher elevations, there will be less of them. As a result, many species will be lost. And cures for cancer. Yes. There are a lot of things in species that we don't know a whole lot about in cloud forests that might benefit us. Yeah. The Blob <laughs> and the Boy. I think that's a new uh, Paul Rudd vehicle. <laughs> the Blob and the Boy. And the Boy. Blob. Please tell me more, Nathan. I'm dying to know more about the blob and the boy.
Scientists who study the northern Bering Sea say they're seeing changed ocean conditions that were projected by climate models, but not until 2050. So say that again, Nathan. Well, here's the deal. They thought they would get these changes in 2050. Based on the But they're already seeing them right now. The rapid changes are leading researchers to wonder if ecosystems near the Bering Strait are undergoing a transformation. The Bering Sea saw record low sea ice last year, winter. Yeah. That's an odd sentence. The Bering Sea saw record low sea ice. That's one of those last things that. Winter. Yes, that's one of those things radio people say before they go on the air. <laughs> By the way, just for our listeners who might be geographically challenged, yeah. the Bering Straits are, are that part of the wow. world between Alaska and Russia, yeah. Siberia. Up basically. there. Up there, way up, up there. there. And this is close to the Arctic, which is uh, close that's to... That's right, where uh, Sarah Palin would stare across the Bering Sea <laughs> and see uh, Putin. <laughs> Isn't that what happened? Yes, it is yeah. what happened. That's factually correct. Yeah. <laughs> Commercially valuable fish like wall-eyed Pollock. I think he plays for the Dodgers, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. Good old He's having a good year, too. And Pacific Cod move farther north. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. They're moving farther north. Seabird experts say a seabird die-off may also be tied to the changing ocean conditions. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Pacific Ocean off the northern California coast is mixed up, and so are many of the animals that live there. Many marine animals have never been so far north. More than twice as many whales, as usual, have been foraging in San Francisco Bay. The whales are staying for as long as a month, and for the first time ever, there are two species in the bay at the same time, grays and humpbacks, both usually speeding north to the Bering Sea feeding grounds at this time of year. The likely culprit for the animal's confusion on all of this is the blob and the boy. The blob (laughs) and the boy. The sudden acceleration in the melting of Arctic sea ice causing a warm blob in the Bay Area around there, mm-hmm. along with El Nino, the boy, mm. El Nino, oh, there, you, there you go, has formed an ocean heat wave whose effects may have permanently scrambled California's coastal ecosystem. Jesus. And this isn't any good. No. Yeah. no. And I say, expect sharks. <laughs> if this news frightens you, May I recommend a donation to KUCI to settle you down? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio at KUCI 88.9 FM. KUCI.org. According to a new report, the middle class is shrinking. In Western Europe and North America, that's where they looked. When the baby boomers, who were born between 1943 and 1964, were in their 20s, 68% were in middle-income households, compared to only 60% of millennials, the generation born between 1983 and 2002. The report defines the middle class as people earning between 75% and 200% of the national medium annual income. In other words, you got the medium income. They're e- either earning twice that amount, 200%, or three-quarters of that amount. Right. So that's the span. It's a range in which you can survive and raise a family. And Yeah, and 200% is pretty good. Yeah. 
you're not getting in the upper class. Right. It's data. It's an average of the results from Canada, Denmark, Finland, France, the United Kingdom, Ireland, Italy, Luxembourg, Mexico, the Netherlands, Norway, Sweden, Spain, and the U.S. The economic influence of the middle class has also dropped sharply over time. Middle incomes have increased by just 0.3% per year on average over the last decade. By comparison, in the decade before the financial crisis, so we're talking 1997 to 2007, middle incomes grew by 1.6% per year and 1% in the decade before that. Housing costs are squeezing the middle class the hardest, consuming a third of disposable income for middle class households, up from a quarter in the 1990s. Education expenses have also been rising faster than middle incomes. Traditional middle-class jobs are threatened by automation, and it now takes more skills and more earners for a household to make it into the shrinking middle class. That's right. Yeah. The shrinking middle class. Yeah. It's not as if there is not an abundance of wealth in America. This isn't a result of the amount of money that's flowing through the American economy has diminished it's who's getting the money now. It's the greedy bastards. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> CEOs used to make about 20% more. Right. About in the 1960s, right. CEOs would make about 20% more than their employees. Right. Now they make 300 times more than their employees. Right. <laughs> You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9 on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com. On Twitter at KUCI FM or on Instagram at KUCI FM. Stream us live on TuneIn. And on iTunes, go to Internet College University, KUCI 88.9 FM. Yeah, Mahler. Yeah, Mahler. It's, ti- it's time to take the gloves off, Mahler. Well, maybe. I'm a little upset about this. Concerned that more representative representatives, like New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, could unseat established not-so-representative House members in party primaries, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez <laughs> did last year to speaker-in-waiting Joe Crowley, The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee announced it will not give work to any consultant or pollster who works for candidates challenging congressional incumbents in the Democratic primaries. This is it. This is it. Democratic. This shows you just how much they're afraid of what's happening in the Democratic Party. In the country. Yes, in the country. It's in the country. Right. Right. It's younger people who looked around and saw how corrupt things are and how incumbents generally aren't responding to the needs of a younger generation. That's right. The DCC's new chair, Illinois Representative Sherry Bostos, represents a district that favored Trump in the 2016 election and is a member of the centrist New Democratic Coalition. So she's a loser. (laughs) Essentially, right? I mean, yeah. Her new blacklist rule has been backed by her fellow centrists who are concerned that members like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are identifying the party with policies that aren't middle-of-the-road enough. Right. Opposing the rule are the House Democrat 
progressives who have swelled the ranks of the Congressional Progressive Caucus close to 100. Right. That's a lot. That is a lot. Uh, Progressives? When there's 240 members, 100 of them are identified, affiliated with a progressive caucus. That's impressive. In protest, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has chosen to bypass the DCCC altogether, using her massive social media following to raise funds directly for swing district House members. Good for her. Good for her. I like Alexandria. Me too. In case you can't tell. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she's she's not perfect by any means. No. She makes mistakes once she in does. a while. But she's got a lot of energy, and she's smart, and she knows what she's doing. She's I mean, she... got moxie. Moxie, yeah. Jesus <laughs> Don't call Spencer Tracy here. Progressive caucus members are clustered in major metropolitan areas like New York's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, oh? the Bay Area's Rokana, Boston's Ayanna Presley, and Orange County's Katie Porter. Yes, yeah. Katie. Come on. House Democrats have divisions on issues like the Green New Deal, Medicare for All, and social spending levels in their own budget. It's likely that some centrist Democrats from urban districts will face more progressive Democratic challengers in the next several elections as the incumbents grow out of touch with their transforming districts. This happens anyway. This is a yeah. process. Right. Like and Bob Dornan, for example. Well, like Bob Dornan. <laughs> he used to represent Santa Monica, believe it or not. Yes, he Bob did. Dornan, yeah. an old, crusty, very right-wing Republican in the 1990s. B1 Bob. Yeah. He moved from Santa Monica yeah. to Orange County yeah. and sat in Congress for an unfathomable amount of time. Seven terms. Yeah. We saw an example of just how wrong-headed this is, and I'll just point to Bernie Sanders' appearance on Fox News. He yeah. did a town hall, and the reaction among Fox News watchers in this town hall should be illuminative to the Democratic leadership. Illuminative. Illuminating. Illuminating. Yeah. Thank you. I may. I think that I make up a word. You might have. And, and how the country is shifting below their feet. Yeah. If they don't understand that already, yeah. they need to understand it. He was explaining the Trump tax cut right. and saying that you guys are getting ripped off. Yeah. He said he would benefit the middle class. All he did is benefit the greedy bastards. Right. And everybody cheered on Fox News. Right. Fox effing news. And? And the host sat there bug-eyed. Exactly. And he talked about medical insurance. Yeah. He said Medicare for all. And the crowd lit up like a Christmas tree. Yeah. And again, the Fox News hosts were a little bug-eyed over that. I think it was a day or two later that Trump sent out a threatening tweet to Fox News saying, you better toe the line. This is why there was so little enthusiasm for Hillary Clinton in the last election. If you want to know why, it's because Bill gutted the progressive wing of the Democratic Party when he was president. She was there for it, and she did it by not even talking to Bernie Sanders about being her vice presidential candidate. Whether or not she would have offered it or not, she should have at least had the intelligence to sit down with Bernie and say, how can we make this work? And she didn't even do that, and it was a sign that she doesn't really care. Don't be put off by uh, democratic socialism. What we're talking about here is 21st century capitalism. That's what democratic socialism really means. You have a lot more people living in a technological society. They're going to need help. And they will benefit the economy if you include them in the economy. 
A universal basic income is an excellent idea. Yes, There's sir. nothing wrong with a, right. with giving people $1,500 a month just for being within the system because right. that money gets fed back into right. the system and it helps everyone, not just greedy bastards. Right. The happiest countries on the planet are the Scandinavian countries, Northern European countries, and they are running this kind of a capitalist system that you're talking about. Speaking of fighting the good fight, Katie Porter, our new rep here in Irvine, took out her whiteboard and grilled Jamie Diamond, chief executive of J.P. Morgan Chase, about what an employee working at his bank in Irvine could do about their budget. The employee, after rent, food, and necessities, was almost $600 in the hole a month. Diamond couldn't answer. He just said, I have to talk to her. Uh, the answer, of course, is that Diamond's a greedy bastard <laughs> that won't pay his workers a decent wage. Yeah. Also, in a hearing with the head of the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, which the Trump administration has hollowed out, Katie Porter left no doubt that the current director doesn't know shite about economics by whipping out a textbook that she wrote to define what an annual percentage rate is to the Trump-appointed Consumer Financial Protection Bureau representatives. Yeah, she was the head of it. Yeah, and she couldn't give a good definition of no. what APR is. No, she couldn't, because yeah. she doesn't care. Yeah, well, because she's stuck in there to hollow out yeah. to get rid of that department of, of government. <laughs> Porter also invited Trump to hand his tax returns to her after Trump said that they were too complicated for anyone to understand. <laughs> Did you see that? No, I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, see yeah. It's, they're very big, very big firms doing my tax returns, and no one can understand them except for them. By the way, Trump's attorney sent a threatening letter to the accounting firm saying you better not <laughs> hand over those letters. They threatened them yeah. with legal action. That's why this is going to be so fun. God, this is going to be great. <laughs> Ass Hat of the Week is yeah. made possible by KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine, California. Ass Hat of the Week. David Bernhardt, President Trump's pick to head the Interior Department, yeah. was confirmed by the Senate, even though there were bucket loads of ethical concerns about his independence from the energy and water industry groups he represented as a lobbyist. Senators voted 56 to 41 in favor of Bernhardt's confirmation. Several Democrats backed this goon. Why don't we name some of them? Joe Manchin, West Virginia. Yep. Kristen Sinema of Arizona. Yep. Martin Heinrich of New Mexico. Before becoming acting secretary, Bernhardt spent about eight years as a partner in Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, Shrek, and the evil Lord Farquhar. <laughs> Yeah. One of the nation's top grossing law and lobbying firms. There he represented energy, mining, and western water interests that deal with the Interior Department, including two California firms, Westland Water District, the nation's largest irrigation district, and Cadiz Incorporated. Bernhardt's firm sued the department. He'll now run four times on Westland's behalf. When Bernhardt was confirmed as deputy secretary in 2017, yeah. he had to sign an ethics pledge to recuse himself from participating in particular matters involving more than two dozen former clients. In the last year, he's helped put policies in place that benefit businesses he once represented as a lobbyist. Last year, for example, Bernhardt helped write a Trump directive that would especially benefit Westlands. Bernhardt is loved by Republicans for opening millions of acres of public land to oil and gas leasing. Yeah. Yeah, so that's screwed. Bernhardt could not have been appointed to an Interior Department post under the Obama administration's ethics pledge, 
which barred registered lobbyists from taking jobs with an agency they lobbied within the last two years. Trump has since dropped the ban. Even though he said he was going to make sure that never happened. I remember his campaign pledge about how draining the swamp meant that this would not happen again. This revolving door of going in government, out of government, coming back in and making a lot of money in the process was never going to happen under his watch. BS. By the way, they've opened up three ethics investigations into him. They've filed against Bernhardt by the IG, the inspector general. Yeah. Yeah. The Three Stooges of Socialism. (laughs) On the 58th anniversary of the Bay of Pigs invasion, Trump's national security advisor, John I. M. the Walrus Bolton, addressed a group of Cuban-American veterans in Florida about the Bay of Pigs, the failed effort to overthrow Fidel Castro's government, and announced a series of crackdowns on Cuba and its allies, with at least a half million voters who were born in Cuba, Venezuela, Colombia, and Nicaragua, and more with ancestral roots in these countries, Florida's constituency could prove pivotal in the November 2020 election in a state that is essential to Trump's re-election. We must all reject the forces of communism and socialism in this hemisphere and in this country, Bolton said. The centerpiece of Bolton's sanctions is the activation of a portion of the 1996 Libertad Act that allows U.S. citizens who had property seized in Cuba after Castro's 1959 revolution to sue businesses who have profited off the land. That would be port construction firms, cruise ship companies, hotels, banks, agricultural interests, and rum producers. They were kicked off the land because they went in there and grabbed it illegally anyway. They were ripping off the... Cuban citizens. Right. Not that Fidel did a perfect job by any means. He was an oppressive pig, but... We were just starting to get good relations with Cuba. Right. We could have swayed them into a a more 21st century capitalist economy. Right. And now this. Well, because Obama was spearheading this initiative, they they can't have that. In all, Bolton announced seven crackdowns and sanctions targeting the governments in Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua, which he referred to as the Troika of Tyranny. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Way to go, Way Johnny. To go, Johnny. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one, buddy. Bolton nicknamed Cuba's Miguel Diaz-Canel, Venezuela's Nicolas Maduro, and Nicaragua's Daniel Ortega, the Three Stooges of Socialism. Yeah. I almost said capitalism there. Yeah. We got lots of stooges for capitalism. Yes, we do. Trump invoked his veto power to strike down a congressional resolution to end U.S. support for the Saudi-led war in Yemen. In doing it, he pissed on a moment of rare bipartisanship, going all authoritarian to protect his fellow autocrat, the Saudi crown prince Mohammed bin Salman, who is known by his initials MBS, which stands for Malicious Bowel Syndrome. (laughs) With his veto, Trump not only signaled his loyalty to a prince who more than likely ordered the murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi, as well as the imprisonment and torture of a whole bunch of human rights activists, but he also ensured, Trump ensured, that the U.S. would remain complicit in the world's worst humanitarian crisis, Prince Mohammed bin Salman's war in the Persian Gulf. Yeah. yeah, this is truly a kind of a scorched earth deal that's going on. Four-year war. You know, we've talked about it so many times here. The cholera epidemic, is, it's been caused by the war. Civilian deaths, millions ravaged by famine and disease. In addition to overseeing the crime against humanity, Mohammed bin Salman, or uh, malicious bowel syndrome, 
also ordered numerous crackdowns on his own civilians, including mass arrests and torture of nonviolent human rights activists. Far from an effort to protect the Constitution. This is what Trump said he was doing, protecting the Constitution. And what it really is doing is just showing his autocratic, narcissistic, malignant side. He and his family are benefiting tremendously from Saudi money. Ivanka got a $100 million check from the Saudis for her foundation or some BS. And Jared has been over there lobbying for months for his real estate development, including saving his building at 666 6th Avenue in New York. This is all just a naked... I would say that's collusion. That's collusion. That is collusion. And speaking of collusion, the redacted Mueller report is out. It got out of the bag. It is out of the bag. Attorney General Billy Barr tried to spin Trump's collusion with organized crime into no collusion at a press conference yesterday. Everybody it knows Amazingly about that. held before the report came out. Yeah. What was with that? Yeah. You put the report out, then you maybe you wait a day. Yeah. People can read it. They can ask you questions. Yeah. That's what an attorney general is supposed right, to do. Right, right. Instead, all he's doing, he's Trump's lawyer now. Right. Trump's defense attorney. This is all that was all Trump's idea. I yeah. guarantee you, as much as I despise Bill Barr, I yeah. doubt it was his idea to go out there two hours before the release of the yeah. report to yeah. say what he said. Yeah. He, he completely shaded, obfuscated, misrepresented the report yeah. when he came out and said those things. Well, he said he was going to focus on process. And what he did instead was he, he handed reporters, like we said, a, a document that they haven't even read and expected them to ask questions about it. Right. So they didn't know what to say. Barr literally uttered Trump's phrase, no collusion, right. to describe Mueller's conclusions, right. creating a perfect soundbite for Fox fake news. Right. Barr repeated other Trumpian talking points many times during the prepared statement. He knocked himself out explaining why Trump's behavior during the probe should be seen as justified and in no way constitute obstruction because Trump felt frustrated Did- by the media. So if you pulled over for speeding yeah. and you want to get out of a ticket, yeah. say you were frustrated. I'm frustrated. Yeah, I drove so fast, I was just frustrated. Yeah. It's such a ridiculous thing. This is the, the man who's supposed to represent justice yeah. in the federal the government. General. The attorney general comes out and says a number of things that were incorrect, misleading, misrepresentations. They're factually incorrect as well. He even praised the president for providing unfettered access to documents and said the White House fully cooperated with the investigation, even though Trump refused to submit to an interview with Mueller. Right. And in the written questions, he kept saying, I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't remember. And Mueller was frustrated about this. He said so in his report. And he said he didn't go forward in questioning because he thought it would take too long to get anything. They would go take him to court. They dragged it out a year. They said for a year that he was definitely Trump's said, I am definitely going to be speaking to the panel of uh, attorneys on on the Mueller investigation. The report states unequivocally that the Russians were all in on trying to affect the outcome of the election in favor of Donald Trump. At the end, when a reporter asked if it was improper for the attorney general to spin the report to the public before it was released, Barr said no and walked off the stage. That was the the way this thing ended. So here's what we know. Trump has not been cleared of criminal conduct related to obstruction of justice. Right. We also know the investigation found enormous evidence of obstruction of justice. Right. There are like 12 occasions that are very well documented where Trump obstructed the investigation. The Office of Legal Counsel said that a sitting president cannot be indicted, and Mueller consulted that opinion 
Mueller decided at the outset before considering the evidence that he would not make a determination that Trump should be indicted. That was never his mandate. Yeah. So he was not supposed to be judge, jury, and executioner exactly. in, in this. The other good thing is the redacted sections are pointing to a lot of ongoing investigations. Yes. A we lot. New York going on yeah, now. So. And we're going to have a congressional investigation. Yes, yes, we are. And lastly, Mueller specifically decided not to exonerate Trump and left the decision of obstruction to Congress. Despite what Barr said that he was in those little clips of sentences in the, that statement that came yeah. out two or three weeks ago, the, that was just completely misleading. We now know how misleading it was based on yesterday. I think we need some people's tribunals before this <laughs> thing is over. And finally, yes. in Taiwan, doctors removed from the swollen eye of a woman four small sweat bees. Bees. Oh, yes. Yes. I that had this. been eating her tears. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.